0: My name is Eric. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, uh, I'll go ahead and qualify. I have been abstinent this time for two years and about four months. I'm maintaining over a 50 pound weight loss. Uh, and excuse me, it's funny how I'm sort of overcome by emotion today. I think it's the large crowd or the green tea. Uh, I'm a man, so I'll blame it on the tea. Uh, <coughs> Thank you for laughing. Uh, You know, and and I really mean that. You know, I've been in this program, been around this program a very long time. So I want to share with you what it was like, what happened, then what it was like and what happened, and then what it was like and what happened. But your laughter really helps calm me down. You know, there was a time when I was in program and going through an extremely horrible, just, you know, just one of those horrible times that we go through in program. And I heard a man speak, I can still remember, his name was Webster. I think he's since left the earth. But that fellow shared for 20 minutes, and I was rolling in the aisles. And I was able to leave the meeting feeling a lot better than I came in. Uh, so, again, so I've been around this program about 20 years. Uh, I am uh, just over 54, and I've been a compulsive overeater my entire life. Uh, I've shared before that I can remember eating part of a donut when I was about three or four, but by the time I was eight, I would have eaten the entire dozen donuts. Uh, I was a latchkey child It's funny to think back But today, you know We just so over The thought uh, that a child Would walk home from school And then sit and watch Mike Douglas for two hours Before an adult You know Before an adult came home would, You know you would, you would call child services And yet <laughs> That is precisely How I raised myself Was, uh, you know On Mike Douglas And, uh, uh, and sadly Cinnamon Toast uh, I discovered cinnamon toast at an early age, and uh, when I came home, you know, I had two hours to just totally go at it, and uh, that's when I became a compulsive overeater. I love to share that, you know, as a compulsive overeater, Halloween was a high holiday. Uh, I used to go trick-or-treating, and, you know, I'd be pounding on the door at 10.30 at night, you know, waiting to get candy, and so... Uh, uh, I was very fortunate when i became an adult i married an alcoholic and it's nice to you know get close to somebody with an addiction so we were both able to to share our addictions together uh i like to say we were happily married for four years and we stayed married another six just to spite each other uh, (laughs) because marriage was too good a gift too good a gift to give the other person uh but eventually it did happen and uh uh I got divorced, and that was when I first got accidents in this program. Uh, As I said, that I was a compulsive overeater. And an interesting little story, you know, uh, my wife was a good cook, and she'd make a cake, and I'd eat the whole thing. And it got so bad in my disease that she had to literally draw a line down the middle. And she said, you can have yours and, you know, in one serving if you want, which I did, but you can't cross this line. And being somewhat obsessive compulsive, I was able to maintain the line. But so help me, mine was gone as soon as it was made. Uh, So I got abstinence the first time in this program, and I'm very lucky I had a a phenomenal sponsor. I I, I still think of her. She lives in Santa Barbara now. But a great woman who came from New Jersey and she helped me get abstinent. Uh, uh, I'm a sugar addict, so I will share my abstinence today. is three meals a day, two optional snacks. Uh, And I don't eat uh, uh, refined sugar, white flour, or uh, at the present time, flax meal because I started doing some insane things with flax meal. Go figure. Uh, (coughs) Yeah everything but roll and smoke it and you know anyone who knows flax meal it doesn't bind very well and it fell right out of the papers anyway but that's but that's for a different program Uh, so uh, oh thank you guys you're really helping me this morning and so uh, I got abstinence, and, and what I like to share is, you know, I was wonderfully abstinent for probably two to four years. Had a great weight loss, much like the weight loss I carry now. Uh, I was, uh, you know, like that. But one of the things that I never did that first time was really work the program the way it's supposed to be worked. You know, if we work the program correctly, we arrive at the 12th step, and there's nothing we can think that's better than seeing a newcomer and hoping, just hoping for the chance to talk to one of them. Uh, uh, and I didn't do that. And another thing that has troubled me my entire life is a little thing called dishonesty. Uh, and I can often be honest with other people, but I'm most dishonest with myself. And so as I slowly lied to me, I began to lie to my sponsor. And then before long, you know, you quit calling, so forth and so on, and you fade out. So I left the program. I started binge eating again. And there was a point in the early 2000s uh, or around 1999 when I wanted to get back in the program. Now, another interesting thing, one of the greatest rules of the 12 traditions is that all we need to be a member is a desire to stop of eating compulsively. In my sick mind, however, uh, I was convinced that I would not be let into the group again. And so I drove... You know, from the valley over the hill to attend uh, what then was CA Howe, I think. Uh, You know, Howe was separate from OA at that time. And I attended Howe meetings for a while. And I got reasonably abstinent in Howe meetings and uh, almost began once again lying to myself, lying to my sponsor right out of the gate. And uh, uh, once again, the abstinence fell away. I didn't work the steps. I arrived at step nine and then graduated and never paid much attention to 10, 11 and 12. Uh, and so I left that program again. Then i like to share the, re- the really funny one. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of a program called Grace Sheet Anonymous, GSA. There is such a radical program out there. and. Last I checked, it's such a difficult program to sustain abstinence because it follows the old literal gray sheet that there's actually only one meeting that actually face-to-face meets, and it's here in Los Angeles at the Fairfax Farmer's Market on Saturday morning. Uh, and I went to that for maybe 45 days and couldn't couldn't hang it. Uh, and... <laughs> That program had like three people with solid GSA abstinence and they were constantly, you know, just three speakers over and over again. Anyway, so again, I left the program on that. I I, I came into the program for my next to last time uh, uh, around 2003 and I found a sponsor, a really loving person up in Burbank and he worked the steps with me and frankly, before I had a year in, I was lying to him so much, you know, that when he called me one day and said, uh, you know, uh, aren't you up coming up on one year, That was the one time I could get honest and I said, you know, the truth is I've just been lying, you know, since then. And, and lying by omission and lying by, you know, looking for the right way. My favorite thing to share is I used to call in a bag of oatmeal cookies as oatmeal and raisins. Right? Right? i mean am i right it's oatmeal and raisin for god's sake the sugar and butter is just a binder for the for the oatmeal and raisin so anyways i used to call in two large pizzas as two slices of pizza you know that had to be cut up in little smaller slices so that i you know because you can't hold one entire large pizza in a hand and reasonably eat it uh and so, you know, that was the level of my dishonesty. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, as they say, it's just a horrible thing. And, and I like to share, this is kind of, uh, since there's so much time today, I'll, I'll share the long, the long form. You know, that time when I came in program, I began to recognize my problem. And my problem was honesty, and I could not seem to find it. And there was a point in the program with this sponsor where I literally walked away. And it's not the thing that anyone would ever suggest you do in this program, but there's a portion of the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in chapter five, where it talks about how anyone can get recovery in this program if they're willing to be honest with themselves. But there are some people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves, okay? And they are those unfortunates. And I began to realize that quite possibly I was one of those unfortunate people. And I walked away from the program because I realized that without honesty and most importantly, honesty with myself, I was never going to succeed in this program. <coughs> and so I left the program and uh, <coughs> uh, was out there binging. And, you know, I mean, I had dominoes on fast dial. I did all, you know, all the terrible things we do in this disease. And... Uh, uh, I've shared this before and I like to share it because it kind of takes it out of an urban legend thing. Uh, The closest thing I have to a child, I raised my sister when I was young. I was a latchkey child and my sister came into our lives when I was 10 and my mom loved to work and I raised her very much like my own daughter. She was extremely valuable and important to my life. And uh, a little over three and a half years ago, she was uh, driving on a country road and making a cell phone call and she was not paying attention and she collided head-on with another car so she died making a cell phone call and i just like to share that so that you can you know see somebody at least by two degrees of separation who's had that happen i was devastated absolutely devastated and uh distraught and of course i had no program to help me uh and What I'd like to share is I had decided that the only way I could somehow gain meaning from her life was to get abstinent and turn my life around. I was eating and I was using and just doing a lot of things that that are inappropriate. And I promised myself this happened on November 4th, 2010. And I promised myself January 1, I was going to turn my life around and make it worth living for her. And what happened on January 1 is by noon, I was off and running with the food. So I said, January 2nd's another day. January 2nd came, and by noon, my mind had convinced me that January 3rd was better because it was a three. You know, and then the four, and then the five, you know, and then if I, you know, and do, 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 do. And quite literally, I went almost 300 days in a row thinking that the next day would be the day that I did it. The next day I would make it right. And for 300 days, I beat myself over the head, afraid that the time would never come when I would get honest with myself. And to to finish that story and get into the recovery, uh, on October 12, 2011, somebody in my next door neighbor drove me crazy. It's It's a story we don't have to get into, but I went absolutely bonkers. And I yelled at this neighbor, and I yelled at the people working at their house, and I could not stop yelling. And I called the company that they were representing, and I yelled at them. And then the company called those people and said, go over and talk to that crazy man. And they came over and talked to me, and I kept yelling some more. I would not stop until I saw those people staring at me, wondering whether to call the police on me or call the crazy wagon. And suddenly, for the first time in my life, I stopped dead in my tracks. I was driving myself crazy, and I was crazy. And I walked into my house that day, and I sat on my couch, because I realized that, you know, I had to make a decision. I either had to figure out some way to get honest with myself, or just recognize that I may as well go follow uh, the very person who meant so much to me. And... Uh, Thank God I had a bit of a spiritual experience that day and decided I had to get honest. Uh, I knew I had to come back to these meetings at no matter what cost. I went to a meeting the next day and, you know, sat in it quiet, disturbed, hoping against hope that, you know, I can make it. And I went to the hundred counters meeting a couple of days later up in the valley. Because uh, I was going to ask this man who was probably one of the meanest men in program to sponsor me. I knew I needed someone really good. And I was afraid to ask him that night. But he said something that's always st- that stuck in my mind immediately. When he pitched that night, he said, you know what? If you're a newcomer, I don't care if you have one day or one meeting ahead of the next newcomer. You're ahead of that person and there's no reason why you can't turn around and shake their hand. And that meant something to me. And I was so desperate for this program that I called my boss not two days later and said I need to change my work schedule so I could start at 8 o'clock, so I could go every morning and stand at a meeting that happens in Studio City every day at 7.30 and just shake the hand of anyone who would come in. Then I went to a Sunday meeting there and I was so fortunate. There is a Sunday meeting in Studio City where some men meet and I shared the first Sunday just so loony that this man came up after the meeting and said, do me a favor. I want you to drive to this restaurant. I want you to sit there and I don't want you to move till we come and get you. And they came and they sat and they talked with me and they got me back on the road to recovery. Now, I'm running out of time, so I would like to talk about recovery because I learned something really special this time around that I try to remind myself of every day. Uh, I'm powerless over food. And what i like to share as far as the misery of that one year and 300 days in a row is you can see what my mind did to me. My mind does not have my best interests at heart. When it comes to food decisions, it can think of a hundred wrong things and no right. Step two... You know, uh, came to believe in a power greater than myself. For many of us, and hopefully all of us, it is some sort of spiritual higher power that we can rely on. But at the very least, something I came to understand that day with those men is if I can get outside of my head at least, I can find an answer that's more lucid. You know, we can always tell our friends how to do the right thing. It's just amazing. You know, I can give phenomenal advice. I can't take it, but I can give it. You know, and, and step three says, you know, uh, if I'm willing to turn over and recognize that I lack that decision making and turn over that decision making to somebody else, hopefully a higher power, if not just people I know and program. You know, I work with men that will call and say, hey, I'm here at this meal and I'm thinking of getting this. Does this sound okay? Because they know their mind is telling them, this is fine. You know, it's a bucket of salad, it's great. you know, or it's, it's, you know, a giant vat of this or that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 Uh, we get help from each other because I realized that I can't make those decisions today. And is that... Okay, okay. I thought that was my watch. Uh, uh, So I was trying to think, what do I have to do at 9.25?
1: (laughs) Maybe that's the reminder that I'm 25 minutes late to this
0: meeting. (coughs) Anyhow... uh, and so, you know, uh, what I do today—it's so critical to me. One of the things that I found is so extremely helpful is to find a ritual. You know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, I. Uh was raised in in Christian churches and so forth. But it's fascinating, you know, certain religions have rituals that are very important to them. And one of the things I've discovered in this program is my morning ritual is extremely paramount to me because I get up every morning and it's a moment to take a reminder that I'm in this program and I need this program to get through the day. And so uh, my father, I didn't share this, but my father had been an alcoholic. And what's fascinating is when I got recovery the first time, a father who I can never relate to appropriately, we found a way to forgive each other and become extremely close friends until, you know, he passed away. Uh, uh, and that was amazing. But uh, every morning while my coffee's brewing, I read from the big book or I read from something from the big book. I say a couple of prayers. There's a prayer I even made up for myself that I say every day. Uh, I try to meditate. Uh, I'm an aggressive meditator and I practice that a lot because one of the things that, that you know, meditation hopefully can teach us is we can step back and we can get away from what's going on with us. My problem is I just attach to my own misery and when it's not there, I construct it so I can attach to it. You know, I compulsively overeat because it gives me a pathway to hate myself in a different way. You know, When I'm hating myself because this is going on, I can get into this or that and I can totally hate myself for this and it's not as painful as hating myself for that. And today I have to live through this But I also have people in this program that I can share with, you know, and another beautiful thing in this program is the connections we make. And I mentioned before that I never understood the power of working with newcomers. But I'll give you a great example of what happened to me. I pitched at a meeting a few weeks ago and a woman came up to it afterwards and said, man, your sugar story is my story. I couldn't believe I was hearing the same thing, you know. And... Anyways, last weekend I went to meet, uh, I'm from Oklahoma, If, if I, I probably didn't give it away, I don't have that kind of an accent, but I did say y'all to a couple of people. So, uh, uh, But some friends of mine from Oklahoma were in Las Vegas last weekend, and I went there to meet them. And, you know, and of course, that's Sin City and buffets galore, you know, and it's not an easy thing to do. Thankfully, I didn't eat at any buffets or anything, but what was really fascinating and I'm so grateful for it's Saturday afternoon, this woman, while I'm in Vegas, checking into my hotel, called me. And what did I get to do? But I got to spend 45 minutes on the phone, finding out what was going on with her and sharing what I could relate and helping her make the decision and help her in this program in a way that so got me out of myself. You know, there is no drug in the world when I hung up the phone that could have made me feel just as good and grateful for this program as I felt in that moment. And... Uh, This morning, when I come to the meeting, I still try to remind myself, we've got to get out there and shake hands and meet the people. And it's so grateful to see all these people here today, you know, and to be a part of this meeting. Uh, I was sharing earlier, you know, it's funny, this meeting, I'm so glad that you have a greeter at this meeting. I only know one other meeting that has a greeter. But it's the most wonderful thing, you know, to stand there and greet. Because we, of all the diseases, we're a disease of isolation. You know, my preferred method of operation is to sit in my chair in my living room you
1: know,
0: <laughs> with the curtain drawn you know, doing my thing. You know, that's my thing, man. You know <laughs> and if I could get paid for that, I would just totally you know, I would totally do that thing, you know. You know. Oh, how happy I would be to say, yeah, my job is just isolating my living room chair. You know. <laughs> Sadly, I don't get paid for that. I have to work. But, but, This program and these connections, they mean the world to me. You know, I was just even surprised today, and and I think my time's coming to an end, and I'll finish with this. You know, I got choked up this morning just thinking about the fact that there's so many people in this room and that I would even have the opportunity to speak. And, you know, uh, like I said, I just feel unbelievably great right now. And the only reason I feel that is because there's people in this room, and you laughed at something I said, and when this meeting is over, we can all be happy that we were here for an hour on a Saturday morning. And hopefully our day will be great because of it. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Absolutely. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be uh, audible on the OA podcast. So, question, yes, ma'am? Thank
1: you. Um, did you. Did you find that dishonesty led into other areas of your life and... Uh,
0: so uh, asking if my dishonesty bled into other parts of my life it bled into every part of my life and you know uh, it's you know it's interesting as we move through the steps of recovery I had to find a way how to be honest with my life I'm fortunate that you know uh, thank God I never committed such crimes as you know have to sort of uh, destroy my reputation or job but I have had to be very careful to be honest. One of the nice things, I've been very fortunate to uh, have a phenomenal meditation teacher that I've worked with for a few years. And, you know, the the beauty that I never knew about honesty is if I'm honest with people, if I'm honest with how I live my life and honest with what I do, I have nothing to hide, you know. And what an amazing surprise that has been for me. And so I'm really grateful for that. So thanks. Very good question. Yes. Sure. What do you do when you have a oh I do when I feel the urge of binges coming on in that moment. That is the best question anyone can ask. <clears throat> and to be perfectly honest, I call somebody else and see how the day is going. You know? The biggest thing I've found about outreach calls is that if I can call you and see how you're doing, it gets me out of me, you know. Now sometimes I might have to call someone to to, to explain what's going on in my life, but my God, if I can find out how you're doing, then I don't think about me for two minutes. <laughs> and every urge I've noticed in abstinence, every one of those eating urges will go away in about 20 minutes. The problem is writing out that 20 minutes because my brain, you know, is thinking, thinking, wondering, figuring. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, ma'am.
1: Thank you, Sherry. Um, are you willing to share your prayer that
0: you wrote to yourself? Absolutely, share my prayer. If I, uh, uh, <coughs> and I've never written it down, so now I hope I, I can recall it. Uh, it's uh, God, please just for today, remove the urge to binge eat or eat for my own pleasure. Instead, help me to use food simply as medicine to nourish my or to to preserve. Uh, to sustain my body and nourish my soul so that I might be in service to at least one other person. So again, that reminds me that, you know, my, my need for eating should be, you know, more medically based, keeping me alive. Uh, Lord knows I can't do that half the time, you know, but at least I'm making that prayer <laughs> and hoping someday. Uh, uh, so anyway, me. Hi, thank you very, very
1: much. We um, talked a lot about your
0: dishonesty and your and to hopefully, um, you know, get rid of. Those oh, these are really great questions. So basically, you are asking if my dishonesty bled into any other character defects. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, whether or not it created or bled into the defects, resentment is absolutely my passion. I love it. I love it. Oh my God! You know, if I just had resentment buddies, I would have so many. You know, you know. And I have to tell you that you know by and, and maybe we can laugh at this. You know. I, One of the reasons I was so close to my sister and she meant so much to me was she had many of the same issues that I did. And so, you know, and losing her, I lost the one person I could identify with. And we used to have a term that we would call each other and I'd call her up and I'd say, look, I'm on that gerbil wheel. I can't get off. And it was a gerbil wheel of resentment. You know, I'm one of those people that I love to get on that thing. And I just race for hours, you know, for the simplest thing. You can step on my foot and I can take that on for days you know and so yeah it it bled into resentment and and uh, passive aggressive behaviors and then uh uh, i almost forgot i think you're asking how i deal with it you know the best way i have found to deal with resentments is just like that little tagline on on the prayer i say to myself i have found that if i'm asking myself how can i be of service to you i'm less likely to be resentful of something you did to me because I'm less interested in what's going to occur to me. I'm more interested in what I can do to be of service to you. And sometimes it's just to get the hell out of your way, you know. Uh, But that's a very good thing, and then I'm you know, I can go on. Yes, um, (laughs) ma'am. Absolutely. So you want to know about my sponsor and my relationship with him and my uh, relationship with my other sponsees. That's really good. And and I learned this in my current sponsorship situation. As I say, I'm very lucky that on Sunday morning, the whole sort of core of us, uh, uh, from a fellow I call our uh, capo to capo on down to the the little familias of sponsees, You know, the thing I mentioned that the most important thing I've learned is that my relationship with my sponsor is to hopefully operate as just a single cell of my brain in the effort to get multiple cells operating. So when I have an issue that requires a significant decision, you know, I call him and I can include him in that decision okay when i'm thinking something about the food i call him and i talk about the food i don't know about any of you but i can step on the scale and i can hop on that gerbil wheel for hours and days just by the number on the scale whether it's up or down you know Uh, if it's down then i can suddenly see how oatmeal and raisins that's a good lunch you know uh you know and when it's up you know and, and so so my relationship with my sponsor is that i call him i discuss issues i don't necessarily follow his advice you know but i include that and i have a family of other people in the program now that i can call and i can include that and uh with my sponsee i try to set up that same relationship you are know, out of the blue my sponsee called last night uh because uh you know, we don't have to get into his life, but something had happened that he doesn't always call me at night hardly ever, but something had happened where he had truly was thrown off his top, you know, uh, and, and he called me just to let me know that that's what was going on and what did I think, and I said, you know, I, I'm the last person to ask about that, but let's talk this, and you know, and, and, and sometimes I can say, hey, you know, uh, I've called my sponsor a lot who... Uh, is not very much of a, you know, doesn't have an answer for much of anything, but he knows people who have the answer, you know. And so he's the guy I call and he's like, if it's a relationship thing or something, he's like, hey, you know, you should call so-and-so. They get in a lot of relationships, you know, or, you know. <laughs> you know, or whatever. So, so uh, that's how that works. It's a, it's a network of people that help me make the smart decisions instead of the decision my brain wants me to make. Yes, ma'am
1: going the oversimplification of question. But
0: tell me about your So you're asking about my, my relationship with other addicts?
1: You said that your relationship with your father healed.
0: Okay. So do you want to know maybe the healing part of it? Okay. Uh, I do know that. Uh, when I was in my disease, resentment and passive aggressiveness were my two sort of, you know, if I had a coat of arms, those would be the two things on the shield. You know, resentment and passive aggressiveness. You know. yeah. There'd be some sort of shaking fist and then you don't have to if you don't want to. You know. right? Right. <laughs> Even I might listen to this podcast. But, uh, but uh, so, you know, uh, in my disease, the synergy is, an, is phenomenal. Because addicts can really help you with your, with your resentments and anger. What I have found in recovery is, like I say, more along that lines uh, of trying to be of service. I can tell you, you know, just the worst example I could give is an example of a relationship I've been in for almost 20 years that was held that was uh, occurred a lot over my years of disease and in and out of program or everything I described and uh, uh, when I got recovery this time around of all the people who supported my recovery was this, this person you know and it's phenomenal as much as I had beat, beat her you know down and I mean mentally obviously but you know but just over the years of the resentment and so forth very recovered but What's interesting is the the minute I went to looking to what I could get from her to how could I be of service to her, it totally flipped that relationship around. And so what I find is that when I can come into this room and think, how can I be of service to somebody, it just totally changes it. And I don't know if that answers your question, but that has has just been one of the biggest life-changing things for me. And whenever I get resentful, you know, the first thing I try to think to myself is if I'm you know, how am I resentful if I'm trying to be of service? How am I not being of service because I'm resentful? You know, so I hope that answers. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. You sort of it
1: as being an aggressive meditator. i you do that for a minute? Sure. And then the other thing is, when you, if you do a check down or something like that, reviewing your day, how do you deal with, um...
0: Of character, um, and and seven. Okay. Okay. That, that is two questions. One uh, about uh, uh, let me try and get the second one first because I want to make sure I understand it. You want to know how do I do step ten and relate it back to character defects? Uh,
1: if, you, if you do step ten and you find something happen, you go
0: back to and seven and and Yeah, absolutely. Because you know the the truth is step ten is really about. Uh, you know, redoing the inventory and reprocessing. You know, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Frankly, ten is just encompasses all of those as one. And so, yes, whenever I have a resentment, just like I described in the in the the question before you. Uh, there's a character defect in there somewhere. I'm looking to get something out of the transaction. The only real way to be resentful is if I get something out of the transaction. If I'm trying to be of service with you, you know, and I come away with a resentment, it's most likely because I was hoping for some element of gratitude, you know, and, and, and so forth. But talking it over with someone else again is how I can often figure that out, uh, you know, because my own mind will cloud it. I don't even know if that answers the question. But step 10 is extremely important. And it's mostly important, you know, like the big book talks about, you know, we want to look back at our day at the end of the night. If I'm going to bed and I'm on that gerbil wheel, I'm not going to sleep well. And any time I'm on that gerbil wheel, more than about 5 or 10 minutes, I know I've got a problem, okay? Now, uh, uh, I should get more exercise, so maybe I need to be on the gerbil wheel a little more. But, but, uh, but, you know, I have a problem and I call somebody and I figure it out. One of the worst problems I have... Uh, to this day is I've spent a life so detached from my emotions I don't know how I feel half the time. And so the nicest thing that my sponsor has really done for me is to try and push back on me and get me to understand how I feel. Uh, now, aggressive meditation, let me answer that. Uh, it's full contact. No, no. Uh, you can get bruised. You know, no. Uh, <coughs> uh, I'll just come out and say it. What I mean by that, I've been around meditation most of my whole life. Uh, uh, it's funny, in that whole Beatles 50th anniversary thing, I was thinking, you know, I, did, I went to learn TM when I was like 15 in the, in the mid-70s and did TM for 20 or 30 years, 15 minutes a day, you know, or 20 minutes morning and afternoon. Uh, and then after my father died... Um, Uh, which was about 2005-2007 I really thought I probably should get serious about meditation so uh, for a while uh, I actually sat with a group that met in the mid-city now I want to qualify by saying that you know there are so many different ways to meditate you really have to find the one that hits for you so I am going want to share this but I don't for a moment want to suggest that everyone should do things my way Uh, you know but I I sat with that group for about a year now uh, uh, I have always had a fascination with Buddhism, and I'll try and make this fast, and, and we don't need to get in that, you know, go in that direction, but I've always had a fascination with Buddhism. So, uh, in, in a lot of my travels, I'd always traveled to these Buddhist temples, and I have been, I've been in Asia and traveled to a lot of them. And what's funny, in all these countries where no one spoke English, sometimes they sell these little books in English at the temples, or well, not sell, you know, they give them away. And, and, and they were written by this fellow, uh, uh, you know, same name. And I always thought it was just, you know, maybe some, some monk that was in the U.S., learned English and went back and wrote him. Well, one night I was Google searching and I found out that this person was here, you know, not only in the U.S., but down in Southern California. And I just went back and learned from him. Now, my meditation, I try to meditate a pretty long amount of time in the morning and evening. Uh, and I really do, the more I meditate, the more I understand how... That is supposed to be a gateway to help us understand, uh, uh, if you don't mind me saying with a few minutes left, you know, the Four Noble Truths. I find that the Twelve Steps uh, in the Big Book of Anonymous are amazing in how they line right up with the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths briefly are there's suffering in life. There's nothing we can do about it. But all suffering has a cause the second noble truth is there is a cause for suffering the third is there is such a thing as an end to suffering there's actually a thing known as unconditional happiness and there is a path to get there okay now if you look at the steps of recovery oh is that time okay I'm sorry five more or time oh yeah so So anyways the twelve steps uh, in in uh, uh, in ovaries anonymous line up perfectly with those noble truths because the recovery steps of ten and eleven and twelve are nothing less and the steps on the path to uh, the most unconditional happiness we can achieve in this life. And I meditate a lot to reinforce those, and I don't know if that answers the question, but I hope. So, thank you guys so much.